understanding of his, his purpose, his freedom, his healing. And today we're really talking about that theme of, of, of the healing that Jesus provides through the cross. And we have the treat of hearing from a couple people who have never shared with us on Sunday morning before. So Sharon Williams and Clay Woodjack are going to come up. Come on up. Go ahead and come on up. A <coughs> lot of us know them pretty well, and there's a lot to love about Clay and Sharon. But what I what I think really is that was hitting me this morning is that kind of what Marcel was talking about about the prayer that you may be praying like God, can I just get through not out of this situation that I'm in? I don't want to be in this situation. And sometimes God leads us in places that we don't want to be to accomplish something greater. And both Clay and Sharon have been in that place, really at an early age, um, both of them with health issues and some other life issues that really dealt them some stuff that nobody would wish upon themselves. But through this, God has really come through and brought healing and a message that is coming not just from a a textbook. um, It is coming from the, the Bible and God's word, but it's coming from God's word and also their lives. And so really just want to encourage us to open up our hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Hello, how are we this morning? Um, oh, I made it. Oh, I missed you. I was yeah. like, huh, that's weird. Um, yes, so we're here. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> Figuring it out. <laughs> Just to clarify, we're not married. <laughs> not married. We're just really, really close friends. Clay's like an older brother to me. So this is actually really fun um, for both of us, I think, to get to come and like share what God's been doing in our lives. Um, and fun fact, if you're into the Enneagram, we are both Enneagram ones. Um, so you may hear some similar things and some different things from us, but it's something cool that we like joke a lot about. So it's really fun. Yeah. So we're excited to be here. Yeah, super excited. Um, it's an honor to be able to share this. Um, and, and it's really like going over this, it was, I mean, Sharon and I both were like, man, we were, we're learning so much about our own lives and our own process of healing and what God's doing. Um, so it's an honor to be able to share that um, with you guys. Great. So our main idea for today is that Jesus not only forgives us, Oh, I guess I can introduce myself again. I'm Sharon Williams, and um, I'm co-director at Call to Greatness here with my husband, Marcel. I'm Clay Woodzak. I'm going for Jonathan's job. (laughs) If you've noticed, similarly, very often. It's not an accident. Been uh, studying him meticulously. So we joke a lot about as Enneagram ones, we're going to take over the world. So this is step one. So watch out. World domination is next. No, um, I'm a senior here at at K-State and I'm studying health and nutrition. So it's a little intro. (laughs) Sweet. Back to our main idea. So our main idea today is that Jesus not only forgives us of our sins, but also heals us from our wounds. So we've been talking a lot about how Jesus wants to come into these areas of sins in our life, but he also wants to heal us from our wounds. I think last week someone said the phrase, hurt people hurt people, and many of us have heard that before, but one of my favorite phrases is healed people heal people, Um, and that's really what we want to see happen here. Um, 
in the world is just see people that are like chasing after healing and wanting to end the cycle of hurt people hurt people. So sins are what we have done and wounding is what is done to us by others and or by life. Because sometimes people do things to us, but sometimes life just happens. Like there's such things as disappointment, tragedy, sickness, death of a loved ones, like things happen and those can also wound us and are very valid things. Um, but Jesus wants us to be whole people. And that looks like him restoring and redeeming us. Um, I believe that God is um, omnipresent. He's always there. And so he sees our past, present, and future. He's not just looking at us and going, this is what you are right now. But he sees the whole picture, and he wants to restore the whole part. Um, so as we recognize our wounds of the past, this allows us to move forward into the present and future and be whole beings. Because we wouldn't be us without the past. We don't need to shove it into a box and be like, you're never coming back up. But God wants to bring restoration into those places in our life and even sometimes give us joy in those places. So our brokenness comes from both um, sin and woundings. And sometimes they're really obvious woundings, such as abuse, some less obvious, such as neglect or unhealthy expectations. But we all have wounds that we need to recognize and allow God to come in and start to heal through those. Um, But the cool thing about this is Jesus recognizes that, and he also is empathetic with that. He's not a God that doesn't understand our wounds or understand the sin that we've experienced. Like, he died on the cross. Um, And so he has taken that on for us. And Clay's going to read this verse from Isaiah that speaks a little bit more about this. So the verse, um, and it's amazing that our healing healing is Jesus. And so this is kind of a, a verse just summing up like what he's done for us and how he's brought us healing. Um, So it's Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. It says, He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with an illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised, and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished and attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because, because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. So, um, yeah, so like Sharon mentioned, um, there are, in the Cross Current um, booklet and like things that they go through, um, they recognize three like main areas of, uh, of wounds, and those three are neglect, rejection, and abuse. And so neglect is like not receiving something that you should have, and that can be like usually as, as a young child. If, if a parent neglects a child, that can leave a wound, and um, it's usually not giving love that's needed. Um, rejection is receiving a message that you're unacceptable, like whether it's life or parents or just relationships, there's this rejection of, we don't want you. You're not really worthy. You're not really valuable. Um, and so that can be another area of a wound. And um, the other one, which kind of we talk about the most maybe, is abuse. Um, and that's just a misuse of power. Um, and that can be emotional, physical, and even sexual. Um, yeah, and so... Um, and so we, we've each experienced probably some form of this, probably from the time that we were, we could even remember. 
Um, even those of us who have like lived in really great families and had great parents and all this stuff, the message comes through somehow, some way, shape, or form. And so as we're kind of going through, we're, we're going to share um, just our testimonies of, of how we experienced blooming and then eventually found healing. Um, but just kind of think about, like, where, where have my wounds been? What have I experienced in my past um, that has created a wound? And then maybe, like, there's a central message to that wound of you're unacceptable, you're this, or whatever, so that God can come and meet you there. Um, and I also like to mention um, just a, a little side note. Um, one, one of the things that it, it's almost like a cyclical cycle of abuse or of um, wounding, because when Adam and Eve fell, um, they their relationship with God obviously was distorted, and God is like the source of love. So when their when their connection to the source of love was cut off, they became in desperate need of love, and when they're and that kind of sometimes, and we're born into that need of love. And so sometimes that can set us up um, to create further wounding in our lives. And I was talking to Sharon, like, it doesn't make light of what other people have done. Like, God wants to show what other people have done and, like, call it for what it is, but also show where we're creating idols out of things and looking for false loves apart from God that can set us up for further wounding. For example, if like, if you were in a relationship and you needed that person um, because they gave you attention and gave you affirmation or whatever, and then they did something wrong, because you set them up as an idol, it creates a deeper wound. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind, too, as we're going through this. Um, and how there's like, they go hand in hand. So it's being our sin and our, what people do to us, ourselves as well. Um, so yeah, so I'll share a little bit of um, my testimony of, of blooming, and then Sharon will go into hers. So um, I need my notes here. Okay, so I feel like my wounds began when I was really young, but they were very subtle. It was just nothing, it was nothing like super significant, nothing big. It was just like, little things where um, just little messages that came across through especially teachers, but also kind of friends. I would do something and I would get a certain response that would send a message to me. And I think like as I was going through this, I think the message was you hurt people and you're dangerous because I was an aggressive kid and I was pretty strong and like I was a wild ball and I didn't know how to deal with that. And I didn't really get a lot of instruction on how to properly deal with that. Like, this is a good thing. It's a gift from God, but here's how to use it well. Um, and so, I, I mean, I'm not going to say the name of the game, but the game wherever a person has the ball and everyone else tries to get that ball from that person, smear the person. Um, I was good at that game. <laughs> and I wasn't malicious by any means, but I made a kid cry one time, and I was like, oh, my bad. Like, I didn't even mean to. I was just playing the game and I remember like getting in trouble and there's like my teachers talking to my parents like he's a troublemaker he's a bully he's this and I'm like oh well I don't mean to be those things but I guess I am those things and it created this like sense of like I'm I'm broken I'm there's something wrong with me and I, I feel like the response that I had was 
to go inward, to become silent. Some people, it's maybe like even get more aggressive, but for me, it was to hide myself. Like, don't talk. If I'm in school, don't talk. Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble and something bad is going to happen. Um, and I'm going to hurt someone. So then um, that was like my childhood, the story of my childhood, kind of like that getting hit with that. But then it changed when I kind of entered high school, middle school. Um, and that message went from you hurt people to you have nothing to offer and you're vulnerable in the er world and you have no power to change what happens to you. Like if something bad happens in your life, you just got to get through it, buddy, because you're not going to like change anything. You don't have any influence. You don't have any ability. You don't have what it takes um, to deal with what, what's coming. So th I feel like that left me open to a lot of the enemy's attacks in my life. And so growing up, so like going into puberty and like high school and things like that, um, I'm hanging around with a bunch of 16, 17-year-old kids who they don't know who they are. I don't know who I am. And we're just teaching each other. Like we're each other's teachers. And the blind leads the blind and they both fall into a pit. And so it's like talking about girls, talking about what makes you popular, what, fit, what you fit in, what validates you all just trash and I took those on and um, just tried to live a and the problem was like I said I didn't have anything to draw back on I didn't have anything to protect myself because all I had was I grew up where I knew the do's and I knew the don'ts but I can't fulfill the do's because I'm a there's something wrong with me I'm a sinner I'm a there's shame everything like that and so Good luck trying to fulfill the do's. So I, the, the don'ts just became an obvious for me. Like I was just gravitated towards the don'ts because that's who I was. I was a don't kind of guy, so to speak. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and yeah, and I, I didn't know what the gospel was really saying to me. Um, the gospel was saying so much more than, okay, I've died for your sins. You're going to spend a heaven or you're going to spend your life in heaven as long as you believe um, that I died for your sins, but nothing else changes. Nothing else in your life really changes. Just try your best, and then you'll be in heaven. So there's kind of hope, but it's still just like you're going to live a trash life um, if, you, if that's all you have. And that's all I had. So um, that, that's how I lived up until about 16. And 16, that was like the crescendo of like this has to change because I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. I dealt with that disease for five years, um, but about a year or two in, I was like, okay, this is enough. God, like, I, I grew up in, uh, in church. I know what your word says. Your word is saying this. There's all these promises of protection and healing. I'm seeing all these things in the Bible, but yet I don't see it in my life. So either you're lying to me, your Bible's not real, which I don't believe that's true, or um, I'm missing something here. Something needs to change in my life. So, like, what is it? Um, and so, so that just led me to, like, really seek him hard. Like, God, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Let me see what's going on. And I, I think it was, like, between 17 and 18, um, about, like, even my birthday, um, my, my 18th birthday, I was so, so sick. And I was in the hospital. I'd been dealing with the disease for about two years. It was getting progressively worse. And I had like an episode where my hemoglobin levels were really low. I was so tired. Um, 
and I was losing a lot of blood. And that's like the nature of that disease. I, you lose a lot of blood, and that's kind of the danger of it. Um, and the medications weren't working to stop the symptoms and stop what was happening. And so I was kind of like faced with death. And I was in, I was remember laying in the hospital bed and being like, God, what is going on? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? What, what do I do? Like, and, um, and, and I had an encounter with him that changed my life. And that encounter, I remember specifically him saying, coming in, and I was like, oh my gosh, God's here. Like, I, I recognized, like, oh my God, he's here. And um, he said to me, Clay, you're asking me to do all these things, to heal you, to protect you, to fulfill my word, but your life reveals that you don't believe I exist. And then when he said that, he kind of like opened up my life, my past, and like showed me the selfishness of my life, that my life was really only for me. And I was like, oh God. (laughs) And came into like face to face with the depravity of my own heart and the brokenness of my own heart and how that just reproduces itself in the world. Uh, My friendships just reproduce brokenness. My family reproduced brokenness. Everywhere I went, just brokenness that it reproduced. And I was like, God, if you don't meet me here and show up, like, it, if I continue to live my life, then th- that's not an option. Like, either you, so, so I was like, if you can deal with everything, if you can forgive me of all this stuff that I see that you're showing me, you can have my life. Like, you, you it's yours. You can live this life for me um, because I'm done. I don't want it anymore. Um, and then at that moment, he came through because I felt like, in that moment, I knew what love was for the first time. Like, I cared about someone else more than I cared about myself. And so that was, like, the turning point of my life, which allowed this healing process to start. Wow. Thanks, Clay. Thanks for sharing that with us. I just, um, it's funny when he was talking about the do's and don'ts. I, as he was talking, I was like, oh, my gosh. I felt bad as a child. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> the Lord's speaking to me right now. But. Um, So my wounds started before I was even born. Um, When my mom found out she was pregnant, she found out she was going to have twins. um, And she was about my age, and I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, oh, my gosh. If I got pregnant and found out I was having twins right now, I would lose my mind. I'd be like, no, (laughs) two of them. I'd be excited. But it would be like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. Okay, here we go. But my mom found out she was pregnant with twins. They were really excited about it. Um, her pregnancy at the beginning was going really great, and then one day she went in for a checkup, um, and the doctors informed her that her body wasn't able to take care of the twins as well as they would have liked. And so in that circumstance, what they do is they label the twins twin A and twin B, um, and twin A is most likely to live, and twin B is most likely to die. And I was twin B. I was pretty low weight, my heart rate wasn't really great, Um, But my brother was doing awesome. And so they told my parents, you need to prepare for one of them to die, and it's probably going to be the girl. So my parents started prepping. They started mourning and grieving. They were ready for this. And so when the day came, they went in, and actually I was alive, and my twin died. Um, And they explained to my, the doctors explained to my parents, there's this this phenomenon that happens in the womb sometimes where a twin will give up their life for the other twin. And that's what happened. And so my parents were so excited. I was alive, obviously, but there was this hurt that happened. They were like, man, we expected to have this boy, and now we have this girl. Can't even imagine. They have probably all this boy clothes, which now that I think about it, that's why as a baby I'm wearing a lot of blue. (laughs) 
I've always wondered. But, <laughs> you know, like, they're prepared to have this boy, and now they have this girl. And there's just a lot of hurt that came in to my parents' heart. Um, and they loved me very well. But from the ages of 0 to 12, I believed this lie and vowed even to it that I was meant to, I was supposed to die. I wasn't supposed to be alive. And it created this mindset of I have to be perfect to prove that I am worth the life that I have right now. Um, and I just remember even as, like, my earliest memory of being a three-year-old and learning how to play piano, and I would, like, slap myself if I messed up. And I'd be like, you can't do that. Like, you have to prove that you're meant to be here. Um, and just, like, doing whatever it took to please my parents, please my Sunday school teachers, please my teachers, like, got to get 100%, can't get that 99%. And it was just the striving mentality. If I'm perfect, then people are going to see me then they'll know me, and then they'll love me and tell me that I'm worth being here on this earth. Um, and um, it was just a lot to live up to. So when I was 12, I had a family member got that was diagnosed with severe PTSD. And at that time, they knew about PTSD, but there still wasn't a lot of research or like understanding of how to help these um, people with PTSD. Um, and there started to be some physical abuse that was happening. And at the time, the statement that would happen before I'd get hit is, you messed up, so this is your punishment. And it just started to, like, feed this lie again that if I wasn't perfect, I wasn't worth living. Like, I didn't deserve life. And I just remember, like, trying to fight for some sort of control, fight for some reason to live. And actually, at the age of 12, I remember consciously thinking, maybe if I'm physically perfect, then I won't get hit. And I developed an eating disorder where I would... Um, it was really a control thing. I'd be like, oh, I can control that I don't have to eat this meal. And it's the one thing I have that I can, like, control in the world. And it became kind of my comfort place in this place where I was like, wow, I found life. Like, I'm, like, doing well in this area. Um, and it just was me trying to find some way to find comfort in this physical abuse that was happening. And the hard thing is I wasn't talking about it. I thought if I told someone about it that I would be deemed a failure and once again told that I wasn't worth being alive. And later I did confide in someone and they told me, Sharon, you just need to grow up. Like things like this happen in the real world and you just move past it. And that was their hurt speaking. Like I'm sure someone told them that at some point in their life and that's all they knew. But in that moment, I remember just vowing, I'm never going to talk about this. Like, i got to stuff this down deep, deep. I have to grow up. i got to be perfect. got to be the adult as a 12-year-old. And I continued to go through that cycle of physical abuse and an eating disorder, striving to be perfect. And when I was 16 in high school, I realized there were boys. And um, I could get a boyfriend if I tried really hard. Um, and I met a guy. And I remember from the very beginning, I was like, this is bad news. Like, this guy, you know, he's nice, and he's cute, but there's something a little off about him. And I remember, because I had a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, like, talking to me and saying, hey, don't go there. And I was like, no, I, I need love, and you're not enough, so I got to go find it for myself. Um, and so I started a relationship with this guy, and there's still red flags going up. Like, he was pressuring me into things, and... He was just not very kind. When we were with people, he was kind. But when we were alone, it was a different story. And when I was 16, I was raped. And I remember afterwards, I sat there and was just like, again, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy to be alive. Like, this is my story, is that I'm going to be hurt over and over and over again because it was a mistake that I was ever born. Should have never been born. 
and it was just this lie that was kept getting confirmed. Six months later, I was hospitalized um, with three autoimmune diseases that I had no idea were there. And I remember just laying in the bed and doctors are telling me, like, you're never going to have kids, probably can't get pregnant, your life's going to change forever. Um, don't ever think about eating these foods again because you can't have them. You're going to be on this medicine. And I'm just listening to them, and I'm like, it's because I was never meant to live. That's why I'm here again. Like, I'm being punished, too, for that sin of being raped, you know? I have punishment. God doesn't want me. And I remember in that moment deciding, God, you've turned your face from me. Like, you don't care. You're not there for me. Like, I really am supposed to die, so why am I still trying to live? Why am I still trying? And something in me that day decided I'm going to numb up. I'm not going to feel anymore. I'm just going to keep trying to be as perfect, but, you know, let's be real. I'm going to die. Like, let's just get to that point. And I became pretty depressed. I was really, um, really needed those pain meds a lot. Um, was always drunk with my friends. Um, just met up with whatever guy would look at me because, you know, I didn't really matter. Um, it was pretty suicidal. And this continued up until I was about 19 years old. I was a sophomore at K-State studying music education, which is a really intense major. And I was falling apart. My eating disorder was out of control. I was extremely suicidal. Um, my ten there was a high tension with my parents at this time. And I decided, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I'm finally going to end it. I got to 20 years almost. That's good enough. Like, I've done all I can do. And I had a friend come up to me, and he pulled me outside, and he said, God told me to tell you that he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And on the outside, I'm sure I was just like, whatever. But inside, I was, like, freaking out because I was like, I've never told anyone this, but that's what I've wanted to hear my whole life, that I'm seen, that I'm known, that I'm loved. And um, it did something in me, but the next day I was about to commit suicide. I'm standing in my bathroom, and all of a sudden I heard God's voice just start saying, I see you, I know you, I love you. And it got to the point where I just fell on my knees because God's presence was so evident in the room. And I remember crying out, like, God, if you're really here, you got to do something. Like, you got to heal these wounds because I can't do it myself. Like, I can't be perfect. I'm realizing that, and I need you to come in. Um, and the story will continue from there as we talk about healing. But I think what's important to talk about is my wounds um, was created. From my wounds, I was sinning. Like, I was choosing perfection. I was striving. Like, the reality is I was being a fake me. I never was being who God created me to be because I thought if I was what everyone else wanted to be, somehow I was going to, like, be okay. And it was a lot to carry. It was a lot of pressure to have on myself. But also, I think this is super important to talk about, um, and it's woven through as Miss Story. I hated being a woman. It wasn't that I wanted to be a man. It wasn't like I was like, I need to be a man. It was more so that there was a message communicated very often throughout my life that crying wasn't okay. And I was a military kid, so, you know, you're taught to get up, be tough. Like, Clay was talking about that game. I broke a kid's nose one time on the playground. Like, he took my toy, and I was like, no, and just, like, went after him. So, like, as a child, that the aggression in me was celebrated, but the femininity in me was not. And so it started this story that has followed me, and I'm still finding freedom for it, but it was communicated that being a woman wasn't okay. Being weak wasn't okay. And the reality is that when we show our need to Jesus, he can come on and meet us in that place. But I was so afraid to connect to that, that I wasn't allowing Jesus to come in. 
And so these wounds were just creating the cycle of hurt for me where I wasn't able to find freedom. But, you know, the reality of why we're here is because God doesn't leave us there. Like, in both Clay and I's stories, like, all of these things were happening, but then God showed up, and he met us where we were, and he was like, I want to give you something more. So what does it look like for us to start experiencing healing? Like, why are Clay and I up here today after all of these things? So our first point is you come to Jesus with your wounds. You come to Jesus with your wounds. Um, And when we come to Jesus, we name the wounds and the person who wounded us, if that's applicable, because sometimes it's sickness, like life happens. Um, And this is probably my favorite part of this process. Um, I remember early on when I finally started talking about the abuse in my life, I came to a trusted friend and I told her about what had happened, because here's a scary reality. If you don't know anything but abuse, it's hard to know you're being abused. Like, that's why we need to have community and talk about things, because sometimes we don't realize that's not normal and that's not okay. So when I finally came to a friend, told her about my life, she told me, hey, that's not okay, that's not normal, we need to go to Jesus. And he reminded me of the story of Mary and Martha, that's in Luke, where Jesus came to see Mary and Martha, and Martha was doing all these things, but Mary came to his feet, and that is what he desired and wanted. She didn't have to do anything. Her simple yes and surrender was enough for him to honor her and treasure her, and that's how he is with us. Like, we can come to him and fall on our knees. Like, for me, I literally go into my own room, and I fall on my knees, and I just begin to tell Jesus what's happened, and he's there listening He's there graciously comforting us like you're not alone. He wants to bring peace and comfort into those moments. Um, And we're able to bring what someone did to us and put it on the cross. And it's no longer ours to carry. Yeah, Yeah, and I still think about when you were saying about your your brother giving up his life for you. And like when you told me that, I was like, that is so powerful. Um, Because it's kind of like the picture of of Jesus, and, and I was, I was thinking like, man, if your brother, if you both would have lived, and your brother was alive today, and he would have known who he was in Christ, he would 100% do that again. He'd be like, yeah, it's me. Like I'm, I'm laying my life down for you. Um, and so, um, I just think that that speaks a lot to Jesus, and it's like, almost like, even inspires me to be that same way. So I don't know. Um, yeah, so, and and that's the thing, like, this is all about Jesus. Um, we could go around the room and we could share our, our stories with each other, and if each person came up here and shared their story, we'd be like, whoa, (laughs) you know, like, we've all been through crazy stuff, um, and the beauty of healing is that when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it's no longer, our past no longer becomes our story. Jesus and what he's been through and what he's done for us, that becomes our story and that gets put and like overtakes everything else. Um, And and I think it's funny because like I feel like it's definitely the will of God for Sharon and I to be doing this message because my story of healing is like completely opposite to hers um, for whatever reason. And so it kind of like gives a good dynamic of what healing can look like because it might look different. Um, Healing's not a methodology. It's not like something you put into practice to find a result. It's a relationship. When you come into a relationship with God, the automatic effect, the natural consequence is healing. 
Um, so, um, sorry, I'm going through my notes a little bit. So for me, um, coming to Jesus really looked like, okay, God, like he didn't really have me go back into my past very much like he did with Sharon, where he's like, takes you back to a specific point, like this is what's going on. For me, it was more like, okay, here's your past, like bring my past to him, like here's my crap. Um, And then God was like, okay, I don't want to fix that up. I don't want to polish it up. I just want you to die to all of it so that something new can live. And that new thing is the life that I have for you. So my story of healing is literally just my identity and stepping into my identity and understanding who I am now that, the, now that Jesus has come, who I am in light of the finished work of the cross. Um, and that's it. Like when I, I went through Living Waters and um, some people, like I said, some people, it's going back into their past and dealing with certain things. For me, it was... This is who you are. This is who you are. It was all identity the whole time. It was just identity. This is who you are. Um, that's no longer who you are. And I think because it was just like a, in a, a, like his truth, when his truth came to me, it broke off the lie. Um, the lie of the false identity that I had grown up in and had been told to me my whole life and I accepted, that got broken off and this new identity came. And it's like this great trade. Um, that, that God do, does for me through the cross. Um, and there were moments where, like, God would bring me back to certain things and be like, hey, this is something you took from that, um, and that's a lie. But like I said, for most of it was just like, this is who you are. You are a son. You are my son. You are accepted. You have my spirit in you. Of course you're capable um, to get through the things that you're getting through and to change things. Um, and so that was very powerful me, to me, just... Um, understanding that and walking in that. Um, And so one of the other steps, um, and and it's very related to like coming to Jesus, the other step is taking the pain and the um, things that you experience, the pain and brokenness, and binding them to Jesus. And they're very similar, but we wanted to separate them because they are really two separate things. Like when you come to Jesus and you, you receive like his uh, mercy and all these things, we then have to give up our past. We have to say like, this is no longer who I am. I'm giving this thing up. We have to like cut ties with it. And that can be hard to do sometimes because there's familiarity there. There's like comfort there. This is all I've known. And you're saying that you have something completely brand new. Um, for me, even though I've lived this long in this, it's, it's difficult to do that, but it's necessary that we cut off the old so that the brand new can come. Um, and um, that can look really practical. It can be like you getting alone in the secret place and communing with God and being like, God, I release this. And even though it doesn't feel like it, I release this. And eventually, and, and when you just step into complete faith and belief in him, his grace will come and do things, um, even if we don't see it, because a lot of this stuff is spiritual, and it's happening in the spiritual realm, and God is coming and and doing his work, and so we have to trust him to get alone with him and and release that stuff to him. Um, 
and, and trust that he can bear it. Yeah, and I know for me, this has probably been the hardest part for me always is to release the pain and bind the sin to Jesus. Um, because like I mentioned earlier, I've been told emotions are bad. Like you can't have emotions. Um, and in fact, the way I get myself to realize I have emotions is I made a playlist called Emotions Are Hard. <laughs> and I like listen to it sometimes to be like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. I have emotions. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, it's on Spotify. You can like and follow it. Um <laughs> But I think this has always just been hard because I have to realize that I c- I'm allowed to grieve. I'm allowed to feel the pain, and, like, Jesus can come into it, but he doesn't want to just leave me there. And it's going to be okay if I cry. It's going to be okay if it's hard and, like, I'm snotty and I don't want to talk to anyone for a day. And um, obviously I've been learning this for the last five years, but I feel like um, three weeks ago I really, like, understood this at a new level, at a higher level, I had um, two people in my life pass away in the same week, and I've always joked that when death comes up, I get a little dark and twisty because of my twin. I'm like, I don't know how to feel about that, and I don't want to go into those places, but I literally remember finding out that my friend had passed away, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, you are at a crossroads. You can either choose to come with me and grieve with me and allow me to help you through this pain, or you can do what you always do, and that's numb up, go do all your work, be busy, and fall apart later on because the stress of trying to carry it all is too much. And I remember thinking, oh, I know the right answer, but, you know, (laughs) doing work sounds really good, and I kind of have a small group in 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we should do that. And I had people in my house who were like, Sharon, don't do it. I was like, so I went for a run because that's the other thing I do, and ran really, really fast and was just, like, trying to, like, get past this, like, what the Holy Spirit was saying. But I remember afterwards, I was like, no, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to strive and try and carry this burden that I don't have. And you know what? What's the worst that can happen if I cry? And just start ugly crying and sobbing. And it was actually really great. Um, I remember Jonathan Ockenpah brought me a bag of Cheetos and for some reason I found an attachment to this bag of Cheetos and I'm just holding it just (laughs) sobbing and he's just staring at me like (laughs) okay but it was like I finally realized that I could come and grieve at the feet of Jesus and the world wasn't going to fall apart and in fact it felt better to just get it all out there and to be like God I need you I need you to see me I need you to understand my brokenness and actually, I think I got past the grieving process quicker because I went to him instead of me trying to figure it out all on my own. And so it's important that we go because he understands our suffering. It talks about it in Hebrews that he's a high priest that is compassionate because he suffered and he wants to walk us through that suffering. And this is so important to lead into our next point, which is extend forgiveness and receive God's forgiveness. And I think coming to Jesus and um, grieving with him is us, like, bonding to him. It's learning to trust him so we can go into this next place. To be completely honest, um, when I've gone through this forgiveness process, I've always asked God, okay, God, who do I need to forgive? Because unforgiveness is poison. It is growing bitterness in us, and it's, like, causing us to continue in this cycle. And it's a prison. We think we're self-protecting ourselves, but actually we're not allowing ourselves to live with dignity. We're saying, I'm not worth the healing. Um, and so when I first started the forgiveness process, I was like, God, I don't want to forgive this person. Like, they hurt me. This guy raped me. How am I supposed to forgive him? And Jesus would always kindly remind me, hey, but I died on the cross for him too. 
I paid the price for him too. That is why you are able to forgive him is because I'm also forgiving him as well. And it kind of softened my heart to realize I don't need to find justice for myself like Jesus is doing that. What I need to do is come and be like, you know what? He has hurt too, and I want to forgive him, and I want to, like, um, break this chain that's holding us together, if that makes sense. Um, And he, God always leads us there through this kindness, but Clay mentioned earlier, a lot of times for me, God's led me into moments of the past, and he's... um, encountered me there and given me showed me how he was there one of my favorite moments is that God showed me a memory of when I was 12 years old and I was hiding in my room sobbing because I had just been beaten so bad that I blacked out and I woke up on the floor confused and I didn't know what was happening and I remember vowing that day that I would never mess up again and God showed me that only I could allow myself out of that vow Like, I had been forgiving people and forgiving the people who had done that to me, but I hadn't received his grace and his forgiveness yet. So I was stuck in that. Um, And I remember he showed me walking up to this 12-year-old self and taking the chains off of her and saying, it's okay. It's okay that you wanted to protect yourself, but you have to let God protect you now and trust him. And I could feel something physically happening in that moment. It was like that vow was finally broken because I decided I'm going to receive God's grace and his forgiveness. And it stopped this cycle of perfection in my life because of that vow I had made. So sometimes it's not only us forgiving others, but it's us saying, you know what, God, I receive the forgiveness you give me. And I'm going to take on the grace that you give as well so I can end these vows that I made in these wounds. That's good. Yeah. And for me, forgiveness kind of went hand in hand with my identity. Um, when I realized that God had done this great exchange with me, and I, I still read, I read Galatians 4 and like a little in, into 5, that chapter right there still freaks me out because it's like, I read it and, I, and it talks about how Jesus came and died and because of that, you are now a son. He's forgiven your sins and made you a son and as his son, he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts who we cry, Abba, Father. And and then it goes into, because you're a son, he also made you an heir of God and an heir with Christ. And I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) it's nuts. And how can I go out of my room and live different? Yeah, and, um, or live the same. But when I realized that this great exchange has been made with me where he's taken a person who was an orphan, who was broken, who... Um, who experienced all this stuff, who's powerless to do anything in, in the world, who hurts people, all these different things, takes that person and then just makes them a son. And it's like, man. And so then when I look at the, the wounds that I've experienced from teachers, from uh, family members, from my dad, because a lot of us men and women, we experience the sin of our father and the failures of our father, and that goes all the way up to Adam. And when I see my father and realize, like, oh, like, he doesn't know who he was. Like, I, I didn't know who I was. He didn't know who he was. And he was hurt by his dad. And um, his dad was hurt by his dad. And it's just this process. And now truth has come into my life. Now the reality and the truth of the gospel has come to my life. Mm-hmm. And so now I have this ability to stop the cycle. Or it doesn't have to continue down the line. 
and continue to create brokenness. Um, and so it allows me to look and, and kind of even take the posture of Jesus where he's on the cross and people are like mocking him and saying like, hey, you saved other people. Why don't you save yourself? Not realizing that, hey, if he were to save himself, he's actually condemning you. So by staying up there, he's actually saving you. And then that in turn be, is their salvation. When Peter talks about what just happened later on, um, they're like, oh, what do we need to do to be saved? And I get to be in that privilege of doing that with my dad or doing that with my teachers and being like, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing um, and, and pray for them and intercede for them. And it's the heart of Christ in me that God then can respond to by releasing faith and mercy and love. Um, so, yeah, that's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, so, um, and that leads to probably the most important thing, which is walking this thing out. Um, taking what you know, what has God has been doing in you, um, and then actually living that thing out and, and making that your reality. Um, I think part of that is through intimacy with God, through, like, just your communion with God, which later we'll even go into communion um, to kind of, like, tie it all together. But when you get alone with God and you're like, this is my life, this is what you're doing, and you start to take his story very personal, it sets you free of the other story. And grace can come and have its way in your life. And, um, um, and, and for me, one of like the real practical ways that I experienced walking out healing um, was the first time that I had an interview where I didn't bring up my sickness. Because when you're sick for five years, you start to look through the lens of, of being a sick person. You th look through the lens of a deficit. I came into K-State enrolled as a dietetics major. And I'm starting to think now, as I'm walking in that healing, I don't even think that was the will of God for me. I think because I was sick, I thought if I knew enough, if I learned enough about nutrition, about health, about all these different things, then I can fix myself. I can overcome this sickness. Um, and so, yeah, my whole, my whole life started to look through this lens of, the, of sickness and everything. Um, and, and so then, as I'm taking his healing personal and taking that identity of a son and letting go the, of an identity of a sick person or whatever, um, I had a first interview where I, I didn't talk about that. Um, and, and an interview is like, you talk about who you are and what's your story. And, um, and, and that was not in there. And I was like, God, you're doing stuff. <laughs> and um, so that was really cool. And, and yeah, um, yeah, just separating myself. And Colossians 2.10, see if I can look it up real quick. Google it. We're young, the Google age over here. It's so good. Um, yeah, even Colossians 2.10 says, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. So, yeah. it's real simple, just like, uh, as a son, I have the full rights of a son, like as an heir, becoming an heir of God, I have the full rights of his heart, and that includes wholeness and healing and, and everything, and so as I take that personal. Yeah, and I just want to touch on this, sometimes we, it's hard to get healing for yourself at the beginning, because you're like, I'm not worth the healing. 
But I think what God did for me at the very beginning of this healing process that really impacted me is he showed me my kids one day, and he was telling, hey, you're not just getting healing for you, but you're getting healing for them. Like, right now, if you decide to get this healing, you can change the, like, direction of their life dramatically. Because the reality is abuse continues in generations. It continues in cycles unless we get the healing that's necessary. Um, And he showed me it was impacting generations for three to four years from that. And it was impacting nations. Because we're coming across people every day, all day. And your hurt hurts them. But if we get healed, we get to heal other people. And so sometimes we choose healing, not just for ourselves, but because it's going to impact others. And I think what Clay was talking about, like, God and I joke a lot. I don't know if it's a joke. I don't know what it is. But he'll be like, Sharon, are you brave enough to show yourself today? And when we forgive and get healed, God gives us identity, and we just begin to walk it out. That's what's beyond healing is this new identity and us failing because you're free to fail. Everyone needs to know that. That's how we grow with God is when we fail. You get this new identity, and you just begin to do it. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever God asks you to do, it's going to look different. But we're brave enough to show up. We're brave enough to show us and be a good gift to other people because people need the whole version of who God created us to be. That's what's going to change the world. Um, so that's that's all we have. <laughs> There's a lot. But I just want to like come back to the points of first we come to Jesus. Second, we release the pain and bind the sin to Jesus. Third, we extend forgiveness and receive God's forgiveness. And fourth, we walk it out. And that's a lot, but God wants to speak to each one of us, and he's putting his finger on one specific thing. He's not, like, shoving it down our throats right now. And like Clay mentioned, we're about to move into a time of communion, but, like, I just want to encourage us, like, find where God's putting his finger down. Because every single person in this room needs healing somewhere, somehow. And don't leave this room without encountering God and figuring that out. Because the world needs you to figure it out. You can impact generations. And that's an awesome honor. So Clay's going to lead us into communion real quick. Yeah. And the beauty of communion is this is where communion is where all this takes effect. It's where healing takes effect. And so when we take it, when we take the bread and we take the cup, this that's a contact point of faith. And I've been told that, taught that, like, when you drink the, the cup, it you are releasing faith in that Jesus, Jesus' blood shed for you forgives you entirely of sin. Like, it's completely cleansed. You are clean, clean um, before his eyes. And when you take the bread, um, symbolizing his body, that is like taking, he's taking the effects of sin um, upon his body. I mean, when you read that story, like, it's, he was marred beyond all men, um, he became unrecognizable. Like, he took on that, everything that we experienced and the full weight of sin upon his body um, so that everything that he, w- he is as a son can come on us um, and we can walk in his life. Um, 